Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Thank you for being friendly with your neighbors. Uh, my name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship here at Victory Life Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Thanks for joining us as well. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can certainly do that. And the way that you uh, can connect with us is by taking one of those communication cards that can be found on the seat back in front of you. If you could fill that out and afterwards drop by our Welcome Center, we have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. I do have a few announcements this morning. I think our youth will be kind of bummed out about this because I know they're fired up after going to that conference. But we will have no VLC youth tonight. Uh, Some of our youth are currently this row right here. How exciting was your conference this week? (laughs) You can tell. They're very pumped. They went to the Christen Youth Conference in Northwest Ohio, my old stomping grounds at Bowling Green State University, and had a life-transforming experience. Is that right? Absolutely. So they were, they were away at that conference this week, and then we have other youth that are away on the Mexico mission trip, so there, there will be no VLC youth tonight. And uh, we only cancel during retreats like this, or mission trips, or during the holidays, so Please be aware of that, but indeed, no youth tonight. Last but not least, I want to let you know that our pastors are going to be unplugged over the next few weeks. Pastor Matt will be gone the next two weeks. I'll be gone the second week of July, and other ministry leaders will be gone as well. And so if you have a need, just call the church office and leave a voicemail on our landline, and someone will indeed get back to you if you have an immediate prayer need. Uh, please know that we do have an emergency prayer chain, and there are printouts in the lobby, and you can get all that relevant information from those prayer chain handouts. So please grab one of those on your way out. But I just want to say to each and all of you, thank you for being a great church who supports those in leadership to enjoy some respite and relaxation with their families. And so thank you for, for being a church like that. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus With your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can go to our website at vlchurch.com backslash give. You can text to give or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings. I can ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer as we anticipate worshiping the Lord together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for being a God who is for us and not against us. The Bible tells us you actually go ahead of us and you fight our battles. May you reorient our hearts this morning to believe and know that this is very true. And we are here now to lift you up because this is who you are and this is what you do. And so we ask that you would meet us here as we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. goes running 
Our bodies. 
by in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word for God. And there's power in the name. So we're going to use it in its original form. We're going to call upon the name of Jehovah. You see, he moved mountains for people. He's opened the sea for his people. He's healed people. He's blessed people. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so in this moment today, you have an opportunity to call upon God, that same God, Jehovah God, and ask him to be present in this place. You may not have a dire need this morning, but you still need his presence. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you know you need the presence of God in your life. But maybe you do have a strong need this morning, so here's your opportunity to call upon the presence of the Lord in this place today. Let's do that together. Oh, 
your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same Father, we remember today that you kept your covenant to Jacob and Abraham, his grandfather. You said that you would make his descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky, and you did. You said that through him you would bless 
all nations. And you did when you sent your son Jesus. You kept your covenant. You showed your love through all generations. In your word, Lord, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from God's wrath. This morning you have kept your covenant with us, a covenant written in your blood. You are the same God, and we thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your blood to keep a covenant with us and make a covenant with us and to save us from God's wrath.
Oh Lord, we have been forgiven so much. All men and women in need of grace and mercy to stand in your presence. We've been given so much by you. Lord, you used your very life in our place so that we might be free from the power of sin and death. Oh Lord, may the gospel never be old hat. May the truth of the scriptures never become something heard before to be left in yesteryear. But may we as your people rehearse. May we as your people share. May we as your people worship to the tune of the gospel. For we have been saved. We have been made new. We have been delivered. We have been transformed through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise today. Lord Jesus, we give you honor in this place today. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of every aspect and ounce of adoration that we sinful, fallen humans can give you. So be honored today. Be glorified in this place. For where you are honored and glorified, then the hearts of sinful human beings can be transformed. Where you are honored and glorified, the hearts of sinful human beings can be transformed. Let us sing that chorus once more today and make sure that your heart is ready to hear the scriptures this morning. Let's make sure that each one of us has given thanks and praise to the Redeemer of our souls. Let us thank him with a full heart this morning and make sure we're ready for his word. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, for love alone applied. And thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. And thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life and brought me from the darkness into And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. Look forward to getting to share the word with you this morning from Romans chapter 3. But before we do that this morning, I'd like to dismiss the children. So kiddos, you can head on down the hall for Children's Church. The fruit of the Spirit are calling. So we'll look forward to that for you. For you old disciples, we're glad you're hanging around. If you'll turn with us to Romans chapter 3, I would be much obliged. We're in the middle of a series called The Good, Good News, where we are reveling in the gospel, where we're looking at what Jesus has done and how the Apostle Paul has defined that for us. And we are excited about what we get to share when we dive into the Word of God and allow Him to speak to us through that Word. Now today I have to warn you, I am going to do something that is going to horrify a portion of you. I am going to violate all types of preaching principles. Pastor Otto, preaching and teaching team, be prepared. You're going to wonder this entire time, what is he doing and why is he doing it? Well, 
I hope by the end, by God's grace, you'll see. But I am going to take a little bit of time to get into our main passage this morning, more time than usual. And then I am going to beat an analogy to death. So those are the two things I'm going to violate in principle today. I'm going to take way too long to get us into Romans, and then I'm going to beat an analogy to death, but so be it. I was talking to a couple here from the church recently. They're foodies. You know what a foodie is? A foodie is that person that any city that they go into, any time that they travel, they go to the nicest restaurant they can find so they can say, hey, I hit that restaurant and I had this there and I really enjoyed it and it was really good. And that's one of the things they do as a couple. Well, they ended up going to a Michelin star restaurant. You know, the Michelin star is like the highest award that you can receive as a restaurant. If you get up to three Michelin stars, you're Gordon Ramsay. But if you're, if you're a little lower than that, you're still pretty awesome, right? And so they went to a Michelin star restaurant. And you have to be on your game to be a Michelin star restaurant. That's why Gordon's screaming at everybody all the time, right? you got to be on your game to get that Michelin star, and you can lose it for not being consistent in what you're putting on the plate. Well, they were excited to get to this Michelin star restaurant. This was going to be an experience in culinary delight. So they began to eat their meal, and as the courses came out, they were enjoying themselves until one of the courses came out, and there was a hair in it at the Michelin star restaurant. Who was expediting that food, Gordon? Wasn't Gordon Ramsay's. I tell you what, that's off-putting, isn't it? Ever happened to you? Ugh, you can't eat that. Of course, everybody's scrambling the rest of the time trying to make sure it's right by them, but there's nothing that can make it right. They've made all of that expense and had all of that, you know, looking forward to, and they're going to this hoity-toity restaurant, and there's a hair in the food. I was speaking to the gentleman about it. He says, you know what? If we had been one of those reviewers, they would have been toast. That would have been it. They could have lost their star if we had been the wrong people. Luckily, they were just humble people from Victory Life <laughs> and didn't write a review on Yelp. Why don't we pray and get our hearts ready for what God has for us today. Heavenly Father, I'm going to need your help today. Lord, I pray that your inspired word would become inspired speech, but I pray that you would also inspire the ears of those that hear for today, we are embarking on one of the most beautiful passages in your word, Lord. I want it to convey the way you want it to convey. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. Make it important for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, as we're in Romans chapter 3, we're going to be reading one of the most famous passages of Scripture. In fact, I'm going to start quoting it, and I bet at least half of you can probably quote the other half of it with me. You're welcome to join me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, that is the, the beginning of the Romans road, right? If you're going to lead people through the plan of salvation to describe what God has done in Jesus, you start there. The fact that men and women are fallen and can't stand in the glory or the manifest presence of God. Now, the words that Paul is going to use in this Romans 3 passage, they are very, very Old Testament focused. God, Paul is, is embarking to show the Romans, or he's taking this trip to show the Romans how that, that God has planned this salvation since the foundation of the world, but also since the establishment of his people Israel. And you're going to see today, as we get into Romans chapter 3, there are some loaded theological terms for Paul here that we have to go back into the Old Testament a little bit to try to understand. It goes all the way back to the Exodus, in fact. You guys know the Exodus? Let my people go. You remember that? 
moment where Moses is standing before Pharaoh and helping the Israelites escape from Egypt, and God says, you can be my people and I will be your God. There's a description that's really, really powerful in Exodus. I'd like to read it to you. It's going to come up on the screen where God establishes that he will meet with his people, that his glory will be in their midst, that his presence will be their gift from him, that his manifest presence will be the place of meeting and favor that would be the envy of all the peoples of the world. Let me read this to you. He says of the tent of meeting, his tabernacle, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it, the place where I meet with Israel, shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting. That's, that's the word for tabernacle or the moving temple of God. So when you guys see in the Old Testament the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, that's the moving temple of God. I will consecrate or make holy the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron and his sons I will make holy to serve me as priests. And here's the promise from Exodus 29. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. So he starts with this concept of glory, his manifest presence, his power, his awesomeness, his holiness, his righteousness. He says that I'm going to come to my people in all of my awesomeness. And I'm not like, not like awesome, like nice shot, not like awesome, like great food, like in, in true awe-inspiring fashion, my presence is going to dwell among them. But there's a caveat to this, that this tent of meeting, this place where he's going to dwell with his people in all of his splendor needs an altar and it needs priests. What happens on an altar and what do priests do? They make sacrifices, blood sacrifices to God in order for him to dwell with his people in his glory. Now, in the other ancient religions of the world, the, the concept of sacrifice is simple. I'm going to sacrifice to God. He's going to eat what I sacrifice to him and be happy. Not the God of Israel. Sacrifice takes on a completely different dimension. And the concept is simple. There is a separation between God and human beings, and it's caused by sin. That God, who is righteous and holy, cannot dwell with a sinful people, and therefore God institutes a covenant or a system of sacrifices by which when they come into his presence, they must atone or cover their sins by the lifeblood of one of the most precious animals from their herd or their flock. So whether it's a burnt offering or a fellowship offering or a sin offering and a guilt offering, the generating principle is you cannot come into the presence of God unless sin is atoned for. And the only thing powerful enough to atone for sin is lifeblood. If, if sin and the wages of sin is death, then the only thing that can cover sin is life itself. And therefore the system of blood sacrifice is instituted and of course, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Aaron and the subsequent high priests would celebrate a solemn assembly, the Day of Atonement, a day in which the high priest would confess all the sins of Israel in a day. And he wouldn't wear his high priestly garments, he wouldn't look all fab, no. On that day, the high priest wore the garments of a slave. And he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. 
And he'd go into the most inner part of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, that was called the Holy of Holies, the place on earth where God's presence dwelled most powerfully. And in that Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant discovered by Indiana Jones. <laughs> Do your kids ever go, is this real? You're like, you know, no, it's not real. That Ark of the Covenant matched the tabernacle. If the tabernacle is the moving temple of God, the Ark of the Covenant is the moving throne of God. Got it? And the top, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. Because only by God's mercy can God dwell with his sinful people. And the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat and say, God, take not your presence from us. Please stay with us. We need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you. We need you. We confess that we have no right to relationship with you. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement. It's a miraculous, awesome system that God put in place to dwell with his people, except it didn't work. It didn't work. The prophet Isaiah wrote over and over and over again, speaking from God, stop bringing me these sacrifices, these sacrifices, you don't care. You sin and you sin and you sin and you don't care, and then you bring a sacrifice, like, it's all better. It's like when you steal and you steal and you steal from your siblings and then you give them some gumballs and you're like, see, it's better. It's not better. You don't care. To the point that the prophet Ezekiel tells us that the glory of the Lord departed the temple. didn't stay there. God couldn't dwell with his people. Their sin was too great. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us that a new covenant needs to be made because this is not working. People do not take this seriously. These blood sacrifices cannot and are not atoning for the great sin of God's people. It doesn't matter that they know it. There's something that needs to change. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul's going to describe that change. Still have a finger in your Bible? Let's read Romans chapter 3, verse 20 and following today, and let's see what changed. Paul, reminding us of something we've learned over the past three weeks, says... For by the works of the law, including blood sacrifice, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So Paul is reminding us of something in verse 20 that he's been telling us since chapter 1. Human beings can know what's right, they can know what's wrong, they can know the law of God. And whether they have the law of God written on their hearts or whether they have the law of God written in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, regardless of how much law you know, you will violate it. Human beings are sinful. Doesn't matter if you know right from wrong, you're not doing right and you are doing wrong on some level. Human beings 
have fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot enter the manifest presence of God in all of his power and all of his awesomeness and all of his holiness and all of his goodness. Not even Moses could. Moses was the one who downloaded this law to the people of Israel. Even he could not stand in the presence of the Lord because he was a sinner. Human beings, as we have established, are full of envy and strife and lies and maliciousness, selfishness and waste, narcissism, sexual exploitation, gossip and slander, stealing and coveting. That's the state of human beings. And even if you are so bold today as to say, I don't do any of those, number one, you're lying. But number two, even if you're so bold to say, I refrain from that which I ought to refrain from, let me ask you a question. Are you truly righteous? Do you rise to the level of the good Samaritan? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Let me put a finer point on it. When you stand before God, will you be able to say, I helped everybody in my power to help? I gave of myself in every situation where it was possible for me to give of myself. I lived in selflessness. Can you say it? Do you rise to the standard of righteousness? Not just not doing the bad things. Do you do the things you ought to do? If you wanted some corroborating evidence to whether you are a selfless or a selfish person, all we would need to do is log into our bank accounts and look at the deduction column. Do we really live selflessly in righteousness? It's a good question. Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the God. No one will be justified through the works of the law, not by what they abstain from, nor by what they do. In fact, verse 20 is implying strongly, and the rest of the book implies strongly, the more law you know, the more you know that you violated it. The more good that you know, the more you recognize, I don't always do it. The more bad you know, the more you recognize, ooh, I do some of that. Law makes us aware, Paul says, of sin and the fact that we do stand under the judgment of God. And that's ultimately what Paul is concerned about. One day, you're going to stand under God's judgment. He's going to come into the restaurant of your life and review it. And you're going to hand him a platter with your life on it and say, look at all the good I did. Look at my righteousness, God, look. Am I up to the standard? And God's going to look back at you and say, there's hair all over it. No, I can't take that in. No, I can't receive that. And you're looking at him, there's not that much hair. And in God's sight, you've gone to great clips and just taken a handful off the floor. And before serving him, your life went like it's Parmesan. He can't receive that. He can't take that in. That's what Paul's getting at. You you can talk about righteousness all you want and everything that's on the platter of your life, but it's still defiled. God, look at this vegetable medley and this Kobe beef and these beautiful au gratin potatoes, these three lovely sauces. Bon appetit! And God says again, there's hair all over it. What if I were to pick the hairs out? Would you eat it then? 
You can't pick the hairs out, it's still defiled. You could go with a fine tooth comb and, 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 and tweezers and pull out every single hair. He still can't ingest it, it's defiled. That is the wages of sin. When God reviews our life, we fall short of the Michelin star. So fall far short. We fall short of the glory of God in such a way that he cannot take in what we're trying to offer him. And that plate of life is not what came out of the kitchen. That's what we did from the kitchen to the table. That was our life. It came out pure. It came out okay. It just wasn't served the way it ought to have been. This is what Paul's concerned about, that there's a world of people saying, look, God, the weight of the food is greater than the weight of the hair. What a ridiculous argument. Of course the weight of the food is greater than the weight of the hair, but the hair still defiles. God would look at us and say, your career is over. But that's not the end of the story. Let's look now at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Meaning God, who has demonstrated how good he is in giving us his law and letting us know what is right and wrong and letting us know what we ought to do and letting us know how we ought to take care of one another, that's a righteousness of God because he has told us this is right and this is wrong. And, and, and human beings have said to themselves, well, maybe I could be justified through that. Paul says, no, you can't. You can't be justified through that law. A righteousness from God has been manifested apart from the law. God's been pointing to it, verse 21, in the law and the prophets, and now that righteousness has come. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God has done something so powerful, so awesome, so amazing through his son Jesus Christ that Paul can say in full confidence something far greater than the law is here. Something far greater than right and wrong and aspiring to them is here. And somehow, when people put their faith in Jesus, it's a testimony to just how good God is. It's a testimony to his righteousness. Just how holy he is, just how awesome he is, just how wonderful he is, just how merciful he is, just how gracious he is. When we put our faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed just how just he is. So if glory is the manifest presence of God, the place where God dwells, and we've all fallen short of it, we're going to need something to propel us into that glory. If we're going to hope to have an eternal reward whereby we're with God forevermore, something is going to have to bridge the gap for us because we have fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul is saying the gap is not bridged through good deeds. The gap is bridged through Jesus back into the presence and glory of God, not just for this life, but for eternity. And Paul is now going to describe for us exactly how that happens. Let's look at verse 24. After saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he says, there's no distinction. Doesn't matter how much law you know. Doesn't matter if you read the Torah growing up or you read the Bible growing up or read nothing growing up. The law of God was written on your heart and you have failed to bring him with your life that which you ought to have brought him. Verse 24. But 
that righteousness that has been revealed justifies by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Justifies. Now that's a loaded theological term. I don't expect you to kind of go, oh, justified, got it, right. What does that mean? To be declared just is to be declared right. Now we can't stand before God with that plate full of hair and say, did I do right by you, God? Do I receive your presence in this life and my eternal reward to come? He says, no, there is nothing justified about what you're handing me. There is nothing justified in your actions. I cannot declare you right no matter how much Kobe beef is on that plate. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, we can be justified. We can be declared right with God. Somehow, Jesus Christ, our Lord, comes with eyes ablaze out of the kitchen and says, that is awful, but I'll make it right. I'll make it right. Between you and the judge, between you and the great reviewer of your life, I'll make it right. I'll justify you. I'll make sure that things are right. I'll make sure that this is taken care of. And it's a gift. From me to you, says Jesus. You haven't earned it, you haven't deserved it, but I'll give it anyhow. It's a gift. You should have been judged for this, but I'm going to redeem this situation. Look back at verse 24. We are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To redeem something is to pay the price of freedom for that thing. When we bring God our lives and he judges it, and he says, no, I can't, I can't receive that. Remember back in verse 118, we learned that the wrath of God has been revealed. It's already revealed. We're already under judgment by our sin. And, and that, that, that judgment is that we're not in the presence of God and he's letting us pursue our own aims. Go ahead, go ahead, enjoy this, this terrible freedom that you've been begging for. Go ahead. Go ahead, maybe it'll draw you back to me. But in in an eternal sense, we're we're enslaved by that sin. We're dead in that sin. The review has already been done. It's already done. The review of our life is complete. Did you know? There is nothing between now and eternity you can do to redeem yourself from judgment. In the same way that that waiter would be fired on arrival, you can't fix it. Someone's got to make it right for you. And the Bible says Jesus paid the price for your failure. Jesus paid the price that you ought to have paid for bringing God that which you brought him. You've been redeemed. It's been paid for. It's been comped. And it's been comped greater and bigger than the weight of all human sin. Look at verse 25. This Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
Now, I know that you run around saying propitiation each day as you're describing the goodness of God. There was a translation of the Old Testament scriptures called the Septuagint. It was a way for the entire world to read the Old Testament, and it was great because then when Jesus came and they went and preached about Jesus into all the world, Egypt and Babylon and Rome and Greece, They could point to the Old Testament scriptures in Greek in a language that was the lingua franca that everybody could read and say, look, the Savior has come. But in that Septuagint, in that translation of the Old Testament, they used this word propitiation. And they used this word propitiation for the Hebrew word mercy seat. For that that place where the Spirit of God dwells most strongly, where where his presence is most keenly felt. Now, some of your Bibles have just translated it for you to simplify. He, he He has brought forth Jesus as an atonement for sin. He has brought forth Jesus as the day of atonement incarnate. But what Paul is getting at by using this word propitiation, knowing that that has been what's used in the Septuagint, the Bible that everybody was reading, is he said Jesus has gone into the very presence of God and taken his blood and said, all of their sin, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. And this blood is far more precious than any that's been sprinkled here. This blood is far greater than every sin on every plate of every human life. This blood is far more precious than a million bulls and 10 million lambs. This blood is the most precious blood that has ever been spilt. God, will you accept this on behalf of them? That's the payment price of your and my freedom. Paul says... Jesus has applied his blood to your sin, your transgression, your iniquity, and his blood is greater than all of that. You were under judgment, and now you are free in Christ to come into the presence of God right now to experience his glory, his awesomeness, his love, and his favor for this life and into eternity. God can dwell with you in his glory right now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He is a propitiation to be received by That's how you receive this gift of freedom that he has given you from a review of your life that would have been negative into eternity. Jesus has done something so powerful that all you have to do is say, God, my first parents didn't trust you and that led to nothing good. I will trust you that you have good in mind for me. And I want you to see one more thing from verse 25 because it's so powerful, we don't want to miss it. It says, whom God put forward. Your judge sent you his mercy in his son. Knowing that what you would bring to him was unacceptable, 
and worthy of wrath and judgment, he made a plan of escape for you before you brought him your life in the first place. He knew you could not bring him anything that he could take in. So he sent Jesus to cover your transgressions before you were ever born. That is a sign of a righteous God, a glorious God, a God that is worthy of praise and honor, and a God to whom we should be shouting from the rooftops, he loves you, he knows you, he's known you since you were born, and he wants to redeem you, to save you, to make you new, to bring you into his presence, to pour out his favor upon you, and to have you live eternally with him. That is Yahweh God. That is Jehovah God, the healer, the sustainer, the lover of our souls. That one has saved you. Would you put your faith and your trust in him? He's paid the price. And his grace is greater than all our sin. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, you wasted nothing in your word. Everything you wrote in that Old Testament, Lord, through your prophets, we were designed to see. Everything that you have done, we were designed to look into. You said even the angels want to look into the things that God has planned. The prophets of old wanted to see your plan in Jesus with all of their heart. They wanted to see it come to fruition. Well, we have seen it come to fruition. The Lord Jesus has gone before us, a people that we could not stand in the presence of God and said, come in here. I've made it right. You can enjoy the presence and favor of God in this life and in eternity. He wants to dwell with you. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. And come in here right now into the presence of your Creator. Have you received this by faith, friends? Have you received the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you truly asked God to forgive you of your sins, to make you new, to make it so that you can stand in the presence of God both in this life and in eternity? If you have not, this would be a marvelous day to do it. Have you been living in your own righteousness? Content to do things your way. Expecting that when you see God, that you will point out all the good things. Don't do that. Something greater than the law is here. Something greater than your law is here. Far greater than your conscience.
Is there anyone here who needs to receive this gift through faith today? With every head bowed and every eyes closed, please. Let's make this place a reverent place. Anybody who would say, yes, Pastor Matt, I need to receive the Lord Jesus by faith today. I've never done that. I've never asked him to forgive my sins and make me clean before God my Father. I don't want to try to be justified by my good deeds. I need a Savior. If that's you today, this is not to appease me. This is just to do what the Bible often intimates, that we should do something physical to match the spiritual. Would you just raise a hand to God and say, God, I need the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. You can put them up and put them down, brothers. I need salvation. I, I, I don't want to stand before God the way I am today. I want to stand before God with Christ as my great mediator, my high priest, the one who can take me into his presence. Anyone else? I need to receive this gift of faith. My brothers who raised your hands and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we're just going to pray together right in this moment. It's not a magical prayer. The words are varied, but it's about your heart today. I want you just to pray this after me and just mean it with your heart with as much as you understand. And we're just going to ask for Jesus to give us that great gift that he purchased for us. Would everyone who knows Christ and everyone who's receiving this gift today repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I understand more today than I knew yesterday. I don't want to stand before God in my own righteousness. I need a Savior. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please make me new. I put my faith in you today. I put my trust in you today. I put my hope in you today. You can be Lord of my life. I will follow you into the presence of my Creator. I thank you for this gift. And in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my friends, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you right in this moment that the Lord Jesus heard that prayer. He wants to make you new and he wants to invite you into the presence and favor of the Lord from this day forward. He can and he will. He can and he will. What I'd love you to do today if you raised your hand is very simple. We're not going to single you out or make you feel weird. But I'm going to stand right here or maybe even over there in the corner. 
after service. And if you just need prayed for because you're going through some stuff, great, I'll pray with you. More importantly today, before you leave this place, I want you to go out these doors and step to the right. There's a welcome center there. Pastor Otto is ready already to say hello to you. And for those of you who made that decision today, he has just a small booklet that says, I prayed that prayer, what do I do now? What does it mean now? What should I do now if I meant that from my heart? He just wants to give that to you. He won't hold you up. But if you prayed that prayer today, please stop at the Welcome Center. And I'll have one more assignment for you today. Grab that book and tell one person that you trust, I prayed that prayer. And if you don't have anybody that you trust today, and you prayed that prayer, then you can come, well, you, you can come talk to me and say, I prayed that prayer. I'll give you a high five. I won't show up at your house with a pie this week, I promise. But I'll, I'll just thank God that he's speaking to your heart and he's leading you to Christ. It's a powerful thing, okay? I hope you got the assignment. Would everybody stand? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And someone almost said amen. You know what, first service, I know it's 1030, we're going to try that again. Just because I know you can do it in my spirit. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, Thank you, second row. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today. Lord, we pray that the things that we heard today and the things that you spoke to our heart would stick with us. Lord, you are the God that never leaves us nor forsakes us, and we thank you for your presence in our lives. Help us go from this place today excited about all that you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.